Before we get to the text and before I read it, let me just do a little bit of a review. We took a break for two weeks from this for kind of a Palm Sunday and Easter message, but um, prior to that, I started a series that I, that I called um, The Last, Last Words to Living Witnesses. John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are what is known as the Upper Room Discourse, and it is Jesus' last words to his disciples. In fact, we're going to read a verse this morning, and Jesus said, I'm not going to talk to you much after this. So he is taking three and a half years of ministry of sowing into these disciples' life and is literally uh, in five chapters just pouring it out to them again. He's, he is um, reflecting on his other teachings, reinforcing some things. And um, these last words are important, they're critical, because in just a few short hours he's going to fulfill his mission. His mission to come to earth was to die for man's sins. In a few short hours he's going to die on the cross for man's sins. His mission then... Uh, after the resurrection, after the crucifixion, he'd be, uh, he would be resurrected three days later, and 40 days after that, he would ascend to the Father. But his mission was accomplished at his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And after he ascended back to the, he to the heavens, he would leave the mission of the gospel in the hands of these disciples to take it and perpetuate it across the face of the earth. Now, they did a good job because that's why you and I are sitting here this morning. Um, if you've been born again, we'll read that in chapter 17. If you've been born again, you've been born again because the word was declared to you because the apostles were faithful to declare it and hand it down generation to generation to generation. And we're here uh, because others were faithful to the mission of his kingdom. But I believe these last words were critical to keeping them on task. They would understand some things after the resurrection that Jesus is telling them now. In fact, he said several times in this dialogue, what I'm telling you, you're not going to understand right now, but you will know hereafter. You'll, you'll, you'll get it. So I'm telling you one more time so that when that time comes, you'll remember the words that I've spoken to you. In our last two studies, um, Jesus gave his disciples two essential and foundational commands um, that, are, that, are, that are literally keys to the kingdom. And the first one was that he, he inspects us, he expects us to love like he loved. Um, he called it a new commandment, that you love each other as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So in his last words to live in witnesses, he said, love like me, love like me. In humility, you, you love and you serve others. And we know that at that feet washing service, he loved and served the one that would betray him, that he knew who would betray him in a few hours. He, he loved and served the one that he knew in a few hours would deny that he even knew him. And so um, there, there were no exclusions. Jesus said, love others like I've loved you. I want you to love each other like I have loved you. And by the way, the Bible tells us that when we love each other, we fulfill the law. When we love each other, we fulfill the law. Those first four commandments deal with our love for God. Those last six deal with our love for each other. So when we love each other, love, the Bible says, works no ill towards its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. When you love each other, you have fulfilled the law of God. He said, love like me. Am I not on? Turned on? Okay, I'm turned on now. I get hand signals back there, so try to stay on track. Love like me. The second thing he said was, believe in me. Now, these guys already believing in him when he said that. Um, he said, you believe in God, believe also in me. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Believe in me. 
And I think what he's speaking to in that is not that they, they're already believing. He's encouraging them to keep believing because he knows heartaches coming. He knows hardships coming. He knows persecutions coming. And so he's telling them, never give up faith in who I am. Never give up faith in what I have done for you. Never get up, give up faith in, in the promises that I have made to you. Those are uh, the two commands that he gave. Love like me and believe on me. That, that confidence in who Christ is and what he's done and what he's promised. Um, is what keeps us moving forward um, with the gospel message on our mind and in our hearts and on our, on our lips. Today's text is going to give us a little bit of a brief introduction um, to what we've sang about all morning, and that is the Holy Spirit, the third person of that triune Godhead. Um, I'm going to do a little different this morning because there's actually two sections in the Upper Room Discourse that deal um, with the Holy Spirit, and so we're going to skip a little bit. We're going to read some in chapter 14 and chapter... Some in chapter 16. But look at John chapter 14 beginning in verse 15. There's a good bit of reading this morning, but reading God's Word is always profitable. Um, so read along with me, written in red in my Bible. Well, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but you see me. Because I live, you shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that keepeth my commandments, he that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, um, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh, and hath nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so... I do. Arise, let us go hence. And apparently the rest of the dialogue is between the upper room and the garden where he would go and pray, the Garden of Gethsemane. But if you'll jump over with me to chapter 16 now and pick it up in verse number 4. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? 
but because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. It's beneficial for you if I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the Prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. Now I'm going to summarize everything Jesus said, three little words, and this is going to be my title this morning. Then we're going to elaborate on what that means. Jesus said in his last words to his disciples, love like me, believe on me, and a simple title, a simple summary of everything he said, you'll have help. You'll have help. Now, four times in this upper room discourse, we read a couple of them, and we'll, I think we'll read a couple more as we continue through the dialogue. But four times in the upper room discourse, Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. They're the same person. Whether you call them spirit or ghost, it means the same thing. Jesus said four times about the Holy Ghost. He called the Holy Ghost four times in the King James translation, comforter. Now, if you look that up in a Strong's Concordance, the Greek word for comforter is parakletos or parakletos. I've heard it pronounced both ways. He called the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Parakletos. And what that literally means is one that is summoned, one that is called to one side, and especially in the sense of being called to one side to help them or to aid them. Now, in a lot of the new modern Bible translations, instead of the word Comforter, because when we think of the word Comforter, we think of someone that just comes alongside us to offer us comfort in times of distress or bereavement or whatever. And, um, and so I, th I think the King James translation of the word maybe keeps us focused on that one particular aspect of what the Holy Spirit does and not the fullness of what He does. So I think the translations that say helper are probably a little bit more accurate to the term parakletos. He is one that comes... Um, alongside of us who is called to aid us in whatever it is that God um, has called us to do. So when Jesus said, you'll have help, what does he mean? Uh, first he said that the one that he was sending that was coming after him would be with you and in you. If you look back at that 17th verse in John chapter 14 verse 17, um, he said that the spirit of truth um, is coming. Um, the world can't receive him because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him, but you know him. And then he says this, For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So here's what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. When I leave, I'm going to send him back to you, this helper, this parakletos. And he's not just going to be with you, he's going to be in you. After, after I pay for the debt of your sin, the Holy Ghost is going to move in. He's not going to just be with you anymore. He's going to be in you from that point forward. Now, you've got to understand this. As long as Jesus was with them, the Holy Spirit was with them. Because the Holy Spirit was in Jesus. 
And so as long as they were with Jesus, they were with the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said, it's beneficial for me to go away because when I go away, He's not just going to be with you. When I pay the debt for your sin, I'm going to make you a temple of the Holy Ghost. So He's not just going to be with you. He's going to live in you. Um, John chapter 14, verse 20. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Now that was an interesting question that Judas asked. How are you going to manifest yourself unto us and not unto the world? And then Jesus answered that question in the 23rd verse. If a man love me, he'll keep my words. And then listen closely to what I said. My Father will love him and will come. We will come unto him and make our abode with him. So here's what Jesus said. After I've paid the debt for your sin, after I've made the sacrifice, after I've purified the temple, the Father and I are going to come back and make our abode in you. And how they're going to do that? In the person of the Holy Spirit. We're going to not just be with you, we're going to come and live in you. Post-resurrection, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of the Son would live within them and live within us. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, I, I call, if anybody ever asks me what my life verse is, I always take them to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, which says this, For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Did you catch what he said? I've, I've been crucified. I am crucified with Christ, yet, uh, yet I live. But it's not me that lives, it's Christ that lives in me. How does he do that? By the person of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, I'm going to read to you a few verses there, beginning in verse 9. Um, and he's speaking to believers in this, those that are under no condemnation um, because they are in Christ. But he says, but you are not in the flesh, uh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, make alive your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. My flesh is going to die. The reality is, is in Christ my flesh is already dead. But Christ lives in me. And the Spirit of Christ that lives in me will never die. It's the Spirit that will sustain me. It is the Zoe life that I talked to you about last week that lasts not just for a lifetime but for all eternity. And will one day breathe life back into this dead body again. Um, but Jesus has promised us in this text that, uh, that He lives in us by the person of of the Holy Spirit. So I got to ask this question right at the get-go. Does the Spirit of Christ live in you? If you've been born again, He does. If you have been born again, the Holy Spirit lives in you. The Word of God says if, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ in you, then you don't belong to Him. You are none of His. So if you've had a new birth experience, if you've been born again, you've been born again by the Spirit of God. And He lives in you. He's taken up residence in you. And, and I know there's a lot of disagreement about some of this stuff, but I want to just tell you this morning, if you've been born again, you have the Holy Ghost. You don't have to go looking for Him. He lives in you. If He doesn't live in you, then you don't belong to Christ. 
You have the Holy Spirit living in you. Now, don't you think about this for just a minute. I'm going to move on very quickly. I knew I was going to labor this point a little bit. Let me tell you some things about Jesus. The Bible says he was conceived by the Holy Ghost in the womb of Mary. How was Jesus conceived? The Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary and planted God in her womb in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You also find out that when Jesus entered in, he grew in spirit. The Bible tells us that he grew in spirit. The Holy Spirit taught him as he grew. When he was baptized, the Bible said the Holy Spirit descended from heaven and lit upon Jesus, and God spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So the Holy Spirit conceived Christ. He helped Christ grow he confirmed Christ as the only begotten Son of God. The Bible says that He was filled with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. And it says um, that when He was resurrected, that He was resurrected by the power of the Holy Ghost. How did Jesus do what He did? By the power of the Holy Ghost that lived in Him. How are we going to do what God's called us to do? By the same Holy Ghost that raised Jesus from the dead that lives in us. That's what Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says. Uh, if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead, that's the Holy Ghost. If He lives in you, then He that raised up Christ from the dead shall quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. He's going to make us alive, not just physically, but make us alive spiritually. When Jesus paid our debt, He made us holy. When we trust Him for our salvation, He makes us holy. And when He does, the Holy Ghost has the freedom to move into our hearts and into our lives and live in us. Now I want to tell you something. You can't get any closer to God than that. If you've been born again, God lives in you. Now, you can't have more of Him than you already have. But here's the truth. He can have more of you than you've already given Him. You, he, you've made Him Lord of your salvation, but I'll tell you this. He wants to be Lord of your marriage. He wants to be Lord of your finances. He wants to be Lord of your life in every sense of the word. Not just Lord of your eternal destiny. He wants to be Lord of every aspect of your life. So yeah, you can give the Holy Spirit more of you and He can fill, he can fill you up in that regard and use you for His glory. He's with us and He's in us throughout our journey on earth. Now, here's the other things that Jesus said. And I'm going to jump around a little bit when I, when I, when I show you these things. Um, but but he, the Holy Spirit, you'll have help with you and in you. Secondly, you'll have help to live for me. Jesus said, very plain spoken, if you love me, keep, keep my commandments. There's no exceptions. In fact, he went on to say, if you don't keep my commandments, then you don't love me. Now, I want to tell you, it's hard for us sometimes to love like Jesus loved. It's hard for us sometimes to do what Jesus called us to do. And that is, that is especially true if we're trying to do it in our own flesh. We can't do it by the flesh. We can do it, though, by the power of the Spirit of God um, that lives in us. Keeping Jesus' commands, listen closely, keeping Jesus' commands is not the pathway to salvation, but it is the proof of salvation. Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to do what I said to do. So, the, so how are we going to do that? Well, Jesus said, I'm going to send you some help. 
The Holy Spirit's going to come and He's going to help you. He's going to help you do the things that I have commanded you to do. Uh, and, and, I, and I know this is a matter of personal experience. Um, that when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life, He gives you a new want to. He gives you a new want to. Man, I'm going to tell you something. There was a time when I lived for the things of this world. I, I lived every day of my life thinking uh, about what I was going to do when I got off work, and it all centered around a party or a beer or, or something of that nature, hanging out with my buddies, um, uh, entertaining myself with ungodly and immoral things. Um, but when Jesus moved in, everything changed. I was scared to turn the radio on for two or three days because I didn't want to hear anything that I felt like would defile the Spirit of God that lived in me. Now, I can't defile Him, but I can defile myself. I didn't want to do anything that would bring reproach to Him. I was scared to turn the radio on because I was scared I'd hear something that would appeal to my flesh and drag me back in that direction. He gave me a new want to. I wanted to go to church. I wanted to read the Word. I wanted to pray. I wanted to tell somebody about what Christ had done for me. I wanted to live in a way that honored Him. Jesus gave me a new want to when the Holy Spirit moved in. He not only gave me the want, He gave me the will. I want to do those things. He gave me the will to do those things. To do after His good pleasure, knowing that I was created in Christ Jesus for that reason, to do those works that honor Him and glorify the Father. He gave me the power to do that. He gave me the want, the will, and the way to do that. I know that in me, in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. But Christ lives in me. And He gives me the ability to walk in obedience to His commands. Um, I don't want to labor this point like I did the other one, but Galatians chapter 5, if you'll start reading about verse 16 and read all the way through, it makes, this, will make, this point will make a whole lot more sense. But here's how, here's how Paul summarized life in the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God and you don't have to worry about keeping the letter of the law of commandments, he said, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. As long as you're listening to the want of the Spirit, as long as you're obeying the will of the Spirit, you will not pursue the lust of the flesh. The Holy Spirit's never going to lead you to walk contrary to the will of God. He just won't. Now, I have people come sometimes and say, well, preacher, we just don't believe this is the will of God for our life, for our marriage. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can take you to the Word and show you where it said it, and I can prove to you that the Bible says the Spirit of God won't ever lead you where the Word of God ain't leading you. You've got to listen to what the Word says, and the Spirit is confirming that in your heart unless you're just rebelling and resisting and rejecting Him. Jesus said, you'll have help to live for me. Walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Bible said there's no law against the man that's walking in the Spirit. Secondly, Jesus said, the one that, the one that is with you and in you will give you the strength to live for me and give you the help that you need to learn of me. John chapter 14, verse 26 says, He shall teach you all things. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth. If you want to learn the Word of God, you need the Spirit of God living in you to help you understand who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what Jesus expects of your life. The Holy Spirit is going to help you discern truth. The Holy Spirit is going to help you grow in your spiritual understanding of who you are and of what God expects of you. In John chapter 16, uh, verses 13 through 14, I didn't turn my page way off. John chapter 16, um, verse 13 and 14. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, 
And He will show you things to come. He's not just going to tell you what you're living in. He's going to tell you where you're going to and what you're going to experience. He'll glorify me because He's going to receive of mine and show it to you. Now you've got to follow the progression. If you look at verse 15, Jesus said, All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I you, unto you that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. He's going to guide us into all truth. Jesus said he's not going to glorify himself, he's going to glorify me. He's going to guide us into the truth that will help us glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you get the, if you get the progression of John chapter 16 and verse 15, he says that what the Father gives me, uh, I'm, I'm going to give to you through the person of the Holy Spirit. It's going to come from the Father, through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. That's how you're going to learn. The Bible says that the natural man does not know about the things of the Spirit of God because they are spiritually discerned. Lost people can read this book frontwards and backwards, left and right. They're never going to understand all the principles and precepts that are contained in it. They can't because it's a spiritual book and it takes a spiritual mind to read it and understand it. But when you have the Spirit of God living in you, when the time is right for you to learn certain things, He'll put that in you. I can tell you, I can read the Bible to this day, read verses that I've read over and over, and all of a sudden I'll read a verse and it's like the light came on for me, and I understand it, and I know how it applies to me, and I know how to live it out in my life. That's the illumination of the Holy Ghost that lives in me. When the time is right, He'll teach you everything that you need to know to live for Christ and glorify Him. He's going to help you live for me. He's going to help you learn of me. He's going to help you lean on me. John chapter 14, verse number 18. Now they sad because Jesus is going away. They sad because he's going away. He's been their Lord and Master for the last three and a half years of their life. They have abandoned their jobs to walk with him through the Galilean hills and to preach the message and to heal the sick and to raise the dead and to, and to declare the gospel of the kingdom. And he's kept telling him over and over, it's my time, it's my time, it's my time. I've got to go away. I've got to go away. In verse 18, he said, I'll not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. How's he going to do that? in the person of the Holy Spirit. I think if you read the whole context, that's what you're going to glean. The word that's translated comfortless. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. The Greek word is orphanos. Yeah, it comes from the same word that we get orphan from. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I'm not going to leave you without a parent. I'm not going to leave you without my presence. I'm not going to abandon you. You're not going to be left like orphans grieving for the loss of their parents. I'm going to come to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to take on the role of Jesus in their life. The Bible calls Him the Spirit of Christ that lives within. John chapter 14 verse 27 Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. When we lean on the Holy Spirit, 
we're leaning on Jesus. We're trusting Jesus to, to help us, to strengthen us, to comfort us, to keep us through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, I can't tell you the number of times that life has been troubled for me, for others. And the presence of Christ shows up in the person of the Holy Spirit and we lean into Him. I talked to my friend last night who lost his wife last Easter Sunday morning. And he talked to me about how at some of his lowest points that the Holy Spirit would just reveal things to him and encourage him and comfort him and strengthen him. Lean in. When you, when, when you lean into Jesus, the Holy Spirit catches you. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to come to you. And he comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Here's the last point. Jesus said, you're going to have help to lead to me. You'll have help to lead to me. Now, specifically, you're going to have help to lead other people to me. If you go back to the 8th verse of chapter 16, he, he starts talking about what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And he begins that dialogue with, he's going to reprove the world. Not, he's not talking about the church now. He, when he's coming, he's going to reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. The Holy Spirit's going to come and bring conviction. Now, our, our, our primary purpose in the world as Christ followers is to be witnesses of the gospel, to tell others that Jesus is the way to salvation, the way, the, the, the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to the Father is to come by Jesus. That, that's our mission. That's our commission. That's the only reason we're still here. I really believe if all God wanted to do was take us to heaven, the day we got saved is the day He'd kill us. But He left us here because He wants, to, he wants us to perpetuate the gospel of the kingdom to the world around us so that more folks can be saved. But he didn't leave us to do that on our own. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, you'll find out that when he ascended to heaven, he said, now, you, you, can't, do, you can't do what I've called you to do yet. You've got to wait for the promise of the Father to come. And, and, and when you receive that power, that, that word is dunamis, the same word that we get dynamite from, when you get the power that you need, then you're going to be witnesses unto me in, Ju in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That power that was coming to them was the power of the Holy Spirit, not just with them, but in them, to do the work that God has sent them to do. So the Holy Spirit helps us by convicting people of sin. Now, I think the Holy Spirit uses our voices. When we speak, we speak with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we speak the truth about sin, it's the Holy Spirit using us to proclaim that truth. When we speak the truth about righteousness, it's the Holy Spirit empowering us to speak that. And as the world is hearing those words, the Holy Spirit is working in their heart and in their own conscience um, to awaken something in them that makes them realize how destitute they are, how sinful they are, how wicked they are, how much they need Jesus. The Holy Spirit goes ahead of us. He walks behind us. He is beside us. He is in us. He is doing His work in the world and He invites us to join Him where He's at work. 
Jesus said, I've, I've left you to lead people to me. But you're going to have help with that. Interesting. The first message that was, that was ever preached on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached it. Man, I can't, I can't get over how powerful Peter was. If you think about it, I mean, just you look at where Peter went from the night of the crucifixion. He wound up denying Jesus. When the rooster crowed, he broke his heart and he went out and wept bitterly. When Jesus rose from the dead, he said, Go tell my disciples and Peter I'm alive. Peter had to do some reconciling with Jesus about his desertion. He's always speaking before. He was speaking when he should have been quiet. He was making boasts that he couldn't back up. Um, Peter was a fisherman. He's not a Bible scholar. He spent the last three and a half years with Jesus, but he was constantly putting his foot in his mouth, doing the things that, that he said he'd never do. Even after the resurrection, Peter didn't know what to do with himself. He said, I'm going fishing. And for whatever reason, he went fishing naked. When he saw the man standing on the shore and he realized it was Jesus, he jumped in out of the ocean and swam to the shore. And that's where Jesus asking him questions. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Three times. He gave, Peter denied him three times. Jesus gave an opportunity to, um, to, to, to affirm him three times. And then, and, then, and then Jesus ascended to heaven and ten days later, the Holy Spirit, where those disciples were gathered praying, waiting for the promise that Jesus made them that the Holy Spirit was going to come. Filled them up. And you look at the message that Peter preached in chapter 2. Man, Peter went all the way back to the prophecy of Joel and he said, we're not drunk. It's the middle of the day, but we're not drunk. What, what you see happening in us is the promise that Joel spoke of um, that the Spirit of God was going to fill us and empower us and use us. And then he laid out a dialogue from Old Testament scriptures about who Jesus was and what Jesus did and how uh, God had used the Romans and the Jewish uh, religion to take him to the cross and to crucify him. And if you look at Acts chapter 2 verse 36, he said, this same Jesus that you have crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. And then a strange thing happened in that 37th verse. The Bible said, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people and they just didn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't want to get it. And then all of a sudden you say the right word at the right time and you know the Holy Spirit empowered that word and He busted that heart wide open and that heart was pricked. And they say, what do we do next? What shall we do? And Peter said, repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll get the Holy Ghost when you do. The Holy Ghost will go before us to deal with men's hearts. And behind us, to bring fruitfulness to the words that we speak, He's going to empower our tongues to speak, and He's going to move on hearts to help them hear, thus saith the Lord. Now, what Jesus left His disciples to do, He left us to do too. That's who we are, disciples of Christ. 
He didn't just leave 12 men and say, go change the world. Um, and we'll find this in that 17th chapter when we start talking about his prayer. He said, I'm not just praying for the disciples that I'm, or these apostles that I'm leaving behind. I'm also praying for those that believe on the words that they proclaim. That you'll glorify yourself in them. That's us. He prayed for us. What Jesus left his disciples to do and us to do, he didn't leave us to do it alone. He promised to send one. I, in fact, in the initial dialogue, he said, I'm going to send another comforter, which, which implies that I'm going to send one like me. And he's not just going to be with you. He's going to be in you. And so I want to tell you this morning, if you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you can love like Jesus. If you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you can live like Jesus. If you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you can learn about Him, you can lean on Him, and you can lead other people to Him. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, you're fighting a losing battle, trying to do any of that in your own strength. Did you hear me? You can't do it without Him. He's going to cover that pretty thoroughly in John chapter 15. What I have called you to do, you cannot do by yourself. You've got to have the Holy Spirit to help. The job's too big. The journey is too long. You can't do it without the Helper living in you. Now, I've seen people that try to do it in their flesh before, and they'll last a little while. They'll last a little while. They'll run out there and make a, make a splash. But they won't endure because the job's too big and the journey's too long. It ain't about a religion. It's about a relationship. My relationship's with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Now, a good test of whether the Holy Spirit is living in you or not is whether any of these things are being accomplished in your life. Listen to me. Very, I'm closing. I promise you. I'm done. A good, good test to know whether the Holy Spirit is living in your life is to, is to ask yourself this question, are any of these things being accomplished in me? Can the Spirit of Jesus live in you and you not know it? Can the Spirit of Christ dwell in us? You know, the question that Judas, how is it that you're going to manifest yourself unto us and not unto the world? And Jesus, the answer that Jesus implied is, I'm going to live in you. You're going to know that I'm in you. You're going to know that you've got something in you that's not of you. Can you know that Christ, can you know that the, or can Christ live in you and you not know it? And, and another question beside that, can, can Christ live in you and other people not know it? And, and I would say probably in answer to that question, the only way Christ can live in you and you not know it, and the only way Christ can live in you and other people not know it, is if you're quenching and grieving, railing against the Holy Spirit that lives in you. And the Bible says it's possible to grieve Him, it's possible to quench Him, it's possible to blaspheme Him. That's a dangerous place to be. What that means is if the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, you say, I won't hear that. I won't do that. If you make Christ the Lord of your life, you don't have any business 
telling the Holy Spirit what he can and cannot require of you. Jesus said, you call me Lord and Master. You call me Lord, why do you not do the things that I say to do you? If you know that the Holy Spirit lives in you, but none of these things are being accomplished in your life, then you better change course right now and start, stop quenching and grieving. Let me say this. If you've been pondering a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've been pondering the claims of the gospel, but you're afraid you can't live the life that He wants you to live, let me tell you that you can't. I'll just tell you straight up. And I'm going to be honest with you. That's one of the things that hindered me for a long time from coming to Christ. I'm like, I can't. I ain't no way. I've been living this life too long. I've been living in, in contrary to the Word of God and the will of God for too long. I've got, I've got this set of friends and I've got all these habits and horrible habits. And I can't do it. I can't live kind of life like I saw my daddy live, my mama live, and other people that I, I can't do that. That ain't me. And it wasn't me. And I couldn't do that. Until I got help. And I got help when I laid my life down at the feet of Jesus. And said, Lord, save me. Because I can't save myself. And on that day, the Holy Spirit moved in. And has given me the strength every day to do what God has called me to do. You'll have that same help. The disciples had it. I had it. Every other Christian in this room has it. And you'll have it. And the Holy Spirit will come to you when you come to Christ. In faith. In repentance. In surrender. Did you hear me? The Holy Spirit. That's what Peter said in Acts 2.38. Repent. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll receive the remission of your sins. That means forgiveness. And the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you've been pondering a decision to Christ, I tell you, if the Holy Spirit has convicted you of sin this morning, convinced you of the righteousness of Christ, causes you to sit in fear of the judgment that's coming, then the Holy Spirit has empowered my words and He has tendered your heart and today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day. Let's stand together. God, I thank You for Your Word. It gets richer and richer and sweeter and sweeter. The more that I study it, the more that You teach me from it. I know there are probably some folks here this morning that understood very, very little of what's been said. Maybe it's because they don't have the Spirit of Christ living in them. Maybe it's because they're not at that place yet where they've grown and can receive. Paul talked about a people who were still so unskilled in the Word because they hadn't already applied what they knew they couldn't take the meat. They had to stay on the milk. The same Holy Spirit that brings about the new birth is the same Holy Spirit that helps us grow in grace and in knowledge, teaches us, empowers us. Lord, I just pray you'd have your will and your way this morning. I'm not going to...
the labor of time of invitation. If folks here, if there's some folks here that don't have the Holy Spirit living in them, if they come to Jesus this morning, the Holy Spirit will come to them. So just break their heart. Bring conviction. That, that's, that's not something I'm capable of doing and I won't try to do it. I could play with their emotions this morning, but then that would just be an emotional conversion and there's no fruit going to be born from that. The Bible said as soon as the cares and trials of the world come along, then it's going to choke it out. But if there's some good ground this morning, some hearts that have been prepared by the Holy Spirit to receive this word, then today is their day of salvation. And I just pray you'd give them the courage to take that one step of faith. And they'll feel just like what I felt. A filling up of forgiveness. Righteousness. Peace. And joy that the Holy Ghost gives. They'll live in the kingdom. And they'll do kingdom work. And I pray, God, you just have your way in this invitation. Anything that's accomplished, we'll praise you for. In Jesus' name, amen. In and out of situations that tug a war around me All day long I struggle for the answers that I need And then I come into His presence
see Edward's trying to gather up those kids. I'm, uh, I'm going to give Edward and Chris the privilege this morning of baptism. It's one of the, it's one of the highlights of, of ministry to see the fruit of the seeds that you've sown into the lives um, of these young people. And so I'm going to give them that privilege and opportunity. I'm not sure what Edward's doing out here. Chris, are you up there? Tell them he can bring all those kids in. Somebody want to step out there and tell them they can. I want the kids to see it too. It's important for them to be a part of the service. Hey, by the way, while we're waiting on them to come in, this little fellow's been two or three times, and I for, keep forgetting to acknowledge him. We always acknowledge him first time he came. Um, Huck Dixon, look at him. Lift him up there, Daddy. Show that baby off. If you had a turkey, you'd be looking at. Him. Reminds you of the Lion King, don't it? <laughs> All right, look at these kids God's blessed us with. Hey, y'all give those that work with them a hand. There's a lot of volunteers besides Chris and them. Make them a place to sit. They can sit in the floor. They can sit in your lap. Wherever. Uh, where's, where, there you are. I was going to say, Amanda, he's looking for you. He heard your voice. Got you in sight. All right. Chris? Ready? Uh, if you parents need to get a little closer, take pictures or whatever, you feel free to do that. This is Shylan Christmas for those of y'all who don't know him, but um, he's been actively coming for quite some time now. Um, got an opportunity to know him, and several weeks ago, um, he gave his life to Christ. Amen. Um, Amen. And he understands that this is just a public profession of faith. Um, he sealed the deal when he prayed the sinner's prayer. He had a home in heaven, and um, I'm proud of him. I went and watched him and Caleb play baseball uh, Thursday, and I was impressed to see a cross on the side of his face. Um, that's being bold. Uh, we, need, we need more young people to be bold. Um, 3 John 1, 4 says that there's no greater joy than to know that your children are walking in the truth. Um, man, I know as a parent, as a daddy, um, for me, there's nothing greater than to know that my kids are going to get to spend eternity with me. Um, so I know his parents are proud of him, and I'm glad to have them um, here with us today. Um, Sean, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Uh, did you ask Jesus to, to forgive you of your sins? Yes, sir. Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? Yes, sir. And that he was raised again on the third day? Yes, sir. Amen. It's my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. said this many times as a parent you know I think it's good for a parent to be able to lead their children by example but not only that but to be able to pray with their kids to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior no greater opportunity for a parent I think that's important for a parent to have that opportunity and and to do that but for me as a children's pastor it's really good when I have that opportunity to pray with a little kid they come up and you see them uh, really moved 
by the Holy Spirit, and then they pray and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It's great. I'm telling you, I love it. But um, Rhett, he come forward just a few weeks ago, and he wanted to ask Jesus into his heart, and then he wanted to be baptized. So today, I'm, I'm very proud to be able to baptize my good friend and brother in Christ. And I've asked him if he wanted to say anything, and he said he didn't. So <laughs> we're going to baptize you. Go ahead and place here. There you go. All right. Upon your confession of faith that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, Rhett, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We've got a couple more um, young folks over the next few weeks to baptize. I'm not, I don't have a date nailed down yet, but if um, if you if you would like to follow the Lord in baptism, I promise you, I they want nothing that would thrill my heart anymore to fill that thing up every Sunday morning and see somebody make their public declaration of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You realize people have been doing this right here for over 2,000 years to identify themselves with the one that died, was buried, and rose again. That's all that baptism pool represents. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, our death, burial, and resurrection. They've been given new lives in Christ, and that's something to rejoice about. Amen. Let's stand together. God, we... Um, we just praise you for this opportunity that we've had this morning. Lord, there are churches that have not been privileged to see a baptism in many years. And we um, have been able to witness three in the last two weeks and more to come. And we're just overwhelmed, God, by your grace, and by your mercy, by your blessings on us. And certainly we don't deserve them any more than anyone else does, but we are grateful, Lord. I pray that you would just continue to help us be good stewards of everything, God, that you've provided. We often think of that only in terms of the finances, which is important. But these young people, Lord, are the most important gift that you've given to us. They're the ones that will perpetuate the gospel for another generation if you tarry. There's nothing more precious. There's nothing more needful than for us to proclaim the gospel into the lives of these young people. For them to hear it, believe it, follow you as, as disciples of Christ. So we're grateful, Lord. I pray you continue to work. Maybe some adults here this morning. Um, that not yet made that decision, not yet made that profession, and not followed you in baptism, I pray that, God, you'd lay that on their hearts. They'd do so soon. Uh, make a bold and public declaration of their confidence in who you are and what you've done. And um, they'll get the gift of the Holy Spirit, just like the rest of us have. We pray you go with us as we go our separate ways. And not only pray that you'd watch over us and keep us safe, but we also pray that you would use us to bring glory to your name by the life that we live, by the words that we speak, so that others may know you as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.